Welcome once again to Devotional. We are still on lesson number eight, season of parenting. This is part two. You know, uh, as a church, we are on a buzz right now. We're winding down school, getting ready for camp meeting. And there's a lot of things happening, and so I'm, I'm excited. You may hear some of the children rehearsing. There may be some music in the background you might hear. So just giving you a heads up, um, I am in the church right now recording right before I go and play uh, soccer with the kids. So I'm not winded yet, <laughs> but I definitely will be afterwards. Like I said in the intro, this is the second part to the lesson. Um, we focused on what, uh, how the Bible relates to individuals without children, to individuals that are single parents. And now we're going to be discussing um, how the Bible relates to those that are with both parents and have children. Um, the joys and risks of parenting. Before we dive in, though, this actually may be your first time listening to this devotional podcast. And I do want to let you know that if you go to the show's description, you will find links to lots of other resources that will help you um, enrich your devotional life. Links for Bible apps, uh, Bible listening apps, the lesson here, uh, mission story videos, uh, anything that I think will help encourage you, inspire you to have a daily connection with the Lord, I'm, I'm going to put there. And there's going to be daily things that I post as well on my Facebook page, uh, Devotional Podcast. Don't forget to put the LL, Devotion ALL Podcast, and you'll find my Facebook page and you can um, subscribe or like it. And then every day I'm, I'm going to be uh, trying to post Bible verses that I read from my devotions that stir my heart, inspire me, give me hope, encouragement. And I want to share those with you as well so that they can encourage you in your daily walk with the Lord. So we're going to be looking at the joys and risks of parenting. Um, I know of good church leaders, um, both uh, lay people and pastors, that were raised in very broken homes that had little to no inkling towards Christianity. And yet these individuals, you would have never guessed from their present uh, spiritual condition. You would have thought they came from a very Christian, strong Christian lineage. And yet when you ask them questions, you find out that their parents had no belief, no interest in Christianity. Yet here they are, great leaders in the church. I also know of young adults that were raised in good Christian homes by godly parents who did everything they possibly could to give their children of the best experience. And yet today, they are tragically out of the church. <clears throat> Excuse me. So there's no guarantees. There are no guarantees in raising our children how they will turn out. You know, having children is easy. Um, maybe the birth part, you know, is the challenge, and women can certainly attest to that. But having children is relatively easy. Anyone can have children. But raising children with specific hopes of how they will turn out, that's where the joy and the risk exist. There is no joy in simply having a child there's a joy in raising a child. There are risks in raising a child too. Um, is, is having children worth the risk? I mean, if there's, this is the, the outcome, if there's no guarantee, is, is it worth having children? I believe God in the Bible would answer an emphatic yes. He chose to create the human race even though he knew what the outcome would be. He knew what the risks would be, but having children for him was worth the risk. And I believe that is the biggest answer to that question. Is it worth having children considering all the, the possible things that could go wrong? Yo, uh, God knew things would go wrong. We don't. 
And yet we can have hope. We can have hope because we're not having children in a context of, of just us here as a human race on our own. We have God with us. Um, so having children is definitely a risk worth taking. I'm going to talk a little bit about risk. Um, I personally have a heredity for high cholesterol. You know that from previous podcasts. Um, I didn't discover this until I actually began to work full-time and could afford. I had health care and could do these yearly checkups. And it was a huge eye-opener to see 383 to be the cholesterol number that I was getting back. I was a nurse, and those numbers scared me um, because um, no matter what, how I, I finagled it, this put my risk for a heart attack and other conditions way high. And uh, so I changed a lot of things. And the numbers were still high. I realized it's more hereditary than anything. So my risks of having a heart attack are higher than the average male my age, and they only go up higher the older I get. But especially since I saw those numbers, I've been making choices, choices like right now I eat mostly a plant-based diet and increasingly more and more and so. You know that I love pizza, but I love my children more. I love my wife more. I love ministry more. I don't want to cut that short. And so uh, I, I think it's been almost a month ago since I had my last pizza, and before that it was even longer. So... Um, even though I love pizza, I love life more. <laughs> and it's not a guarantee, right? But I'm making choices. And so um, that helps. I'm also exercising more regularly and with more intensity, uh, which is something that I've been planning to do for a while. And I'm realizing that if I don't do it, then just I'm not going to do it. It's just a matter of choosing. And so thankfully, I've been able to exercise more regularly. I'm also taking more time to relax with my family, my kids, to take entire days off and not feel guilty about it, um, not just part of a day, but an entire day to spend helping around the house, but also just basically spending time with the kids, not in front of the television, with the kids. I don't want to spend time with a, a square rectangle in my living room. I want to spend time with living individuals that I love and love me, my children. Those three small changes, actually huge in, uh, in regards to my past, in my lifestyle, are making a drastic and lasting impact on my risks of having a heart attack. So uh, there are things that we can do, even though we can recognize there's high risks for us, there are choices we can make that can mitigate those risks and actually decrease them. Our kids are born with a sinful nature. That is a given from the scriptures. They've inherited also um, a, our not just our external good looks, <laughs> But they've also inherited our ugly tempers, our unattractive stubbornness, our unsightly selfishness. That it has also been passed down to them, which makes them high risk. Um, no matter what their IQ may be or their GPA, they are at high risk of making some really bad choices and thus ruining, ruining their lives and the lives of others. You know, uh, tempers, having a bad temper, being stubborn, being selfish. Those things can impact the choices you make in life, and our children are at high risk. But there are things you and I as parents can do to help decrease the chances of heartaches and regrets while increasing the chances of them making better choices and in turn live fuller, more satisfying spiritual lives. You know, you need to get the lesson because on Wednesday, the lesson provides a whole bunch of great instructions and guidance, a chalk load of scriptural principles. You would do well to prayerfully go through every principle with the scriptures listed there and meditate 
how can I apply this to my life right now? Now, I'm not going to make this podcast super long by focusing on Wednesday. I'm actually just going to focus on a short verse from Tuesday's part of the lesson. But I do encourage you, um, spend time on Wednesdays. And if you're wondering, where do I get this lesson? Like I said at the beginning, there's a link. You can get the app for free for your phone, uh, iPhone, Android. You can go online, read it online for free as well if you don't have a smartphone. So these resources are there for free. Um, I'm going to read a verse um, that is listed in Tuesday's part of the lesson, Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. It simply says this, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. These words, this is God speaking, These words which I, God, am commanding you today shall be in your heart. Before God tells parents, and he does if you keep reading the context of Deuteronomy chapter 6 uh, after verse 6, before God tells parents to teach and talk about these words to their to our children, God tells us parents that His words must first be in our hearts. We can only give what we have. Just like we can pass on to our children our physical genetic heritage, I've inherited, I believe it's from my dad, the high cholesterol. He also has high cholesterol. My brother has high cholesterol. My mother doesn't. So my, my dad's genes were passed on to my brother and I. And just like we can pass on our physical genetic heritage, we can, to a great extent, through modeling and example, not simply speaking or telling, but from modeling in our own lives as an example, pass on to our children our spiritual genetic heritage, at least definitely while they are children. If we are to pass on to our children any spiritual heritage, it must be in us first. And I guess I need to highlight any positive spiritual heritage because a passive spiritual heritage of we'll just go to church on the weekend, but during the week, there's no spirituality in the home. We can also pass that down too. My dad passed down bad genetics for cholesterol. He passed that down to me. My wife has no problem with those things. I believe she could probably eat pizza every day and her cholesterol will stay low. Um, but not me. Even though I'm not eating pizza, I still have to mitigate against my body producing too much of what is called the bad cholesterol. So we can, um, we, we need to realize we, our children have this high risk because of sinful nature and the things they've inherited from us, but we can make choices that can affect the kind of spiritual heritage our children get. If I want my children to pray, they must see me pray. They must see me pray daily in my personal devotions. They must see me praying during difficult times and crises that our, that our family goes through. They must see us praying, this is, I think, most just as important, they must see us praying during the good times of health and prosperity. They must see that God is not a spare tire God, that he only comes out during an emergency, but that God is an ever-present God in, our, in my life, and prayer is one of the best indicators of that. Um, our children need to see that we pray, and when we discipline them, when we correct them, we bring God into the picture. We pray with them, recognizing that we're dealing more than just simply behavior. We're, we're dealing with the need of conversion, a nature that needs to be uh, addressed, a sinful nature that uh, makes uh, selfishness and pride very natural to be provoked and aroused in, in our children. Our children need to see that in order to live a well-balanced life, God needs to be in it. And prayer is one of the most effective and intimate ways to bring God into our daily life. Our children need to see that. And we can give them that spiritual inheritance in that it becomes normal for them and it will become natural for them to do that as well. 
I must say that when um, my brother and I were younger, my parents came, my dad came from a Pentecostal background, my mom from a Catholic background. And when they came into the Adventist church, if you're not familiar with the Adventist church, we have this um, statement or this um, part of our belief system called the health message. We believe God doesn't want us getting sick unnecessarily. And there are many of our illnesses that we have here, especially in North America, are lifestyle induced. And so the health message was actually simple principles of how to stay healthy, <laughs> like um, meals and fat intakes and all those things. And uh, when they first became Adventists, they actually became vegetarians, which was a very awkward thing in Argentina. You know, Argentina is known for the, the barbecue, the asado, you know, and um, so to become vegetarians, my parents did do that for us when we were little. My parents were very health conscious. And I remember eating things, you know, lots of salads and beans and lentils and all these things. So to some extent, maybe it's not so accidental or so contra culture or contra family that today I'm a vegetarian. Those seeds were planted in our childhood and they have borne fruit today. So you can, and you may think that it has been for nothing or that you've wasted it, but we don't know the kind of influence or how lasting the influence can be for our children. It's worth making the efforts. Um, it, you know, the, the idea that um, I want my children to love prayer, to love the Bible, I need to model that for them. And that is what gets becomes the spiritual inheritance for them. But even this does not provide a 100% guarantee that our children will choose a genuine spiritual path when they grow up. This is the very sobering and painful thought to consider that we can do all of these changes on a daily basis, bring prayer into the home, bring a love to the scriptures, model that for them, and they may still choose otherwise. Like I told you, I come from a family lineage of strong carnivores. You know, my mom used to call me a dinosaur when I was little, when I was older and we came to America. Um, <clears throat> in South America, strangely enough, and in Bolivia, uh, in spite of the scanty, you know, resources that we had, my, our parents put efforts into trying to live as healthy of a life as possible. It wasn't always um, strict vegetarian. We had chicken sometimes. Um, but in the States, we went straight up carnivores. We turned into velociraptors when we came to the States. Um, so even though we had that, today, I'm practically vegan. I've also made choices. My parents made choices, but I can make choices too, not the same ones my parents have made. We are all free moral agents capable of making choices different than our parents. But even with all of these personal lifestyle choices of diet, exercise, and stress management, I still could experience a heart attack. Just because the risks have decreased does not mean that they go completely away. And that's the risk reality of raising children. Is it worth the risk? Of course it is. We have an opportunity to make a difference in the future of our children. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you were to ask me, if it has been worth the lifestyle changes I've made thus far, of course I'm going to say most definitely the exercising, the diet, it has been worth making those lifestyle changes. The same answer goes for making any lifestyle changes that increases the stakes of our children coming up on the side of the Lord. Any sacrifice you choose to make to increase the chances of your children becoming genuinely converted Christians will be worth it. You know, I know of a teen in Ohio who once asked his parents to please cut the cable. He did not have the willpower to resist the temptation of watching programs nonstop. He would binge watch. 
and the immorality he would watch was killing him spiritually. The father loved basketball and football channels. The mother loved the sitcoms and the movies on demand. What were these Christian parents to do? You know, it hurts me to say that the cable stayed in that home, but that young man eventually left their home and their church. You know, there is a family in Michigan that places in their calendar every possible church event, youth program, spiritual retreat, or any spiritual church program and goes to them even though it causes great financial sacrifices. Their vacations are mission trips. Their entertainment is finding ways to minister to others. Their joy is spending time together. Is it worth making these changes? This definitely puts an increase or decrease in the spiritual direction their children will make. What sacrifices would you be willing to do to place the odds on the side of your children's spiritual success, of their eternal salvation? If you're not sure of the answer, maybe it's time to spend time on your knees and commit to being willing to cut off any earthly entanglement if doing so means placing our children that much closer to Jesus. You know, um, we're going to switch gears now. We, we have just closed realizing that it's worth it. It's worth any sacrifice your family would make so that your children have a better chance of experiencing conversion. It's worth it. But what, what, you know, what if? What if I do all these sacrifices and put my child through the Christian education, do all I possibly can, and my child still walks away from it all? Still walks away. What then? Well, the Bible, to start off, the Bible will tell us that we are not alone if that were to happen or if that has happened. You have God in your company. You know, God understands what it feels like to have done everything you possibly could, and yet the, the creatures you brought into existence choose to walk away from it all. It happened in heaven, and it happened here again on earth. So the scriptures are rich in counsel and advice and comfort and hope for us parents that have tried the best we could. We recognize we're not perfect, but we have tried with sincerity to do everything possible so that our children could experience a, a conversion and a genuine spiritual life, and yet here we are. They're no longer in the church. They're out, and they don't seem to have any inclination for the things that they once embraced, they once valued. You know, there's a parable in Luke chapter 15 that speaks of such an experience. And there's a book, one of my favorite books outside of the Bible, called Christ Object Lessons. And I want to read to you a short sentence from page 198. It says this, In the parable of the prodigal son is presented the Lord's dealing with those who have once known the Father's love, but who have allowed the, temper to lead the, the tempter to leave them captive at his will. It's representing not a human. Through this parable, God is not trying to illustrate a human relationship that has been broken, but a divine human relationship. And it's how God deals with those who have once known the Father's love, but have allowed Satan to draw them away. Through this parable, we can learn that God also knows the deep pain of this experience. Um, this is, like I said, is one of my favorite books. And there's a paragraph further down on page 202 
that I believe can provide some rich guidance for us parents as to how to relate, how we can recognize we are not alone, <clears throat> excuse me, in having our children come back to the Lord. This is what the paragraph says, Christ Object Lessons, page 202. The love of God still yearns over the one who has chosen to separate from him. And he, God, sets in operation influences to bring him back to the Father's house. Isn't that beautiful? When God sees this happen, he sets in operation influences to bring him back to the Father's house. There's no arm twisting, there's not a headlock, but influences, gentle touches that can steer the erring back. It continues saying, the prodigal son in his wretchedness came to himself. The deceptive power that Satan had exercised over him was broken through those influences. He saw that his suffering was the result of his own folly, and he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to share to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. Miserable as he was, here it is, miserable as he was, the prodigal found hope in the conviction of his father's love. It was that love which was drawing him toward home. So it is the assurance of God's love that constrains the sinner to return to God. Did you catch it? I'm going to read that sentence to you one more time. Three times it, it mentions this, it emphasizes this. Miserable as he was, the prodigal found hope in the conviction of his father's love. It was that love which was drawing him toward home. So it is the assurance of God's love that constrains the sinner to have to come to return to God. A golden chain, the mercy and compassion of divine love, is passed around every imperiled soul. The Lord declares, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Jeremiah 31.3 God doesn't stay sad. God sets in operation influences to bring back your child. He is already doing this. He is doing this even now. Why not join him in being part of those influences that he is using to try to get your child back home? You know, and the influences are contingent, founded upon revelations and convictions of the Father's love. It is love that will return the sinner back to God. Remember what Job did every day for his children? In Job chapter 1, verse 5, it says that when the days of feasting of his children had run their course, Job would send and, and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. That's Job chapter 1, verse 5. God is inviting you and I to rise up early in the morning and get on our knees to claim the promise and mercy given to us at the cross of Jesus on behalf of our children. For God to put influences in operation and to show you what your role in this operation is. And I can tell you that there's some things that are a given. Your children are not seeking and not being exposed to things that will reinforce the convictions that they've been raised with about the Father's love. So you could send links 
with spiritual songs that point to God's love. You can share with them texts that bring joy and comfort um, as they reveal God's love, verses that you read in the morning that accentuate how powerful and eternal and unchanging God's love is for us. You can share sermons that have stirred your heart with God's love. You can share these with your children and be part of this operation in wooing your children back. It was the conviction of his father's love. It was the love of the father that was drawing him. It was the assurance of God's love that constrained the sinner to return home. This is how you can cooperate with God. Continually point your child, your son, your daughter back to this unchanging love of the father's heart. God's love is the only thing that can attract and guide your child back home. Also, we must realize that this may take more than just praying. Why not bring in elders, not just you praying? Why not bring in elders or deacons and deaconesses, the pastor, uh, to intentionally intercede for your child long term? Why not get families together and commit every morning to lift this person up in prayer? that the operations that God is um, undertaking, you better believe that they will be counteracted by Satan's operation in trying to frustrate everything God is trying to do to save your child. There's a passage in the book of Daniel between chapters uh, 9 and 10 that gave me a lot of comfort in persevering prayer. Daniel is trying to understand what has been shown to him. And so he fasts for many days. And when the angel comes, he says, I was sent the very first day you were praying, but Satan resisted me. You waited long, but it wasn't because God was delaying in answering you, but because God works in the, in the realm of love. and He doesn't force the will. He doesn't force our choice. And Satan also puts into action his influences to try to frustrate what God is trying to do. But when you and I pray, it gives God an opportunity to interact with reality, with our choices, with in his providence, to increase the chances, just like you can increase your chances by a, choosing a different lifestyle of diet, exercise, stress management, it can decrease the chances. It may not make them go away completely, but boy, oh boy, am I, am I so happy that they're decreasing the chances. Our increased prayer can increase the chances of the influences that God sets into operation to, change, to save our children. Does God regret the cross, though millions have been internally lost? No. So you and I will not regret any sacrifices that we make to win our child back. And in the end, the child still choose to resist those influences. You know, in heaven, you will not regret having woken up an hour earlier before you go to work to plead. You will not regret fasting for your child. In heaven, you will recognize you did everything possible. And you will see how God honored every single prayer you raised on behalf of your child, but it's your child the one that makes the ultimate choice. It doesn't completely guarantee it increases the chances. But you, like I said earlier, I can still have a heart attack because it, just because of the heredity that I have and sin. But I'm glad that I'm making the choices. They're worth it. And God does not regret the cross. God knows that in spite of that great sacrifice, millions will be lost but there's no regret in his heart because what he intended to do was provide an ample way for humans to be saved. And he's done that through Jesus Christ. So as we begin to close this section, a few promises that I want to leave with you. 
so that they will give us perseverance as we commit praying daily and making ourselves available for God, to, for us to cooperate with God in reaching our wayward little ones. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know we have, the petitions that we have asked of Him. You know, there's a book called Steps to Christ, which is also another favorite book of mine. And on page 51, it addresses this idea of, you know, praying according to God's will. And it says this, speaking of this promise, there is a condition to this promise that we pray according to the will of God. But it is the will of God to cleanse our children, to make his children his again, and to enable our children to live a holy life. So we may ask for these blessings and believe that we receive them and thank God that we have received them. It is God's will to save your child. He, he gave his son at the cross so that this will could be realized in your child's life, that he can experience salvation. So when you are praying for the salvation of your child, you need not doubt as to whether you are praying in God's will. Matthew 18, 14 says, It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish, and that includes your little one. I sincerely hope you received a special blessing from today's episode on Devotional. I pray it has inspired you to turn the study of God's Word into a daily habit, as well as using the study tool of our Sabbath School lesson. If you haven't yet subscribed on iTunes or whichever platform you listen in, would you please do so now? This way, you will be notified each time I publish a new episode. It would also mean a lot to me if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast. You doing this will help others discover the spiritual resource. I would really appreciate this. I would love for you to connect with me through my Facebook page, Devotional Podcast. There's a link in the show's description that will take you there. I will regularly post additional resources there as well. It would be so good to hear what you like and what I could do to make this podcast a bigger blessing for you. Lastly, would you consider making a monthly 99 cent contribution to this podcast? It would help offset the long-term cost of producing each episode. Thanks again for listening. Look forward to our next time together in the next episode of Devotional. Until then, this is Pastor Ariel inviting you to devote all you are and all you have to our Lord Jesus Christ.